Hello, and welcome back to the While We're Waiting, Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. I want to say a quick thank you to those of you who have left ratings and reviews over the last few weeks. It lets me know you appreciate the content, and even more importantly, ratings and reviews help raise our profile in the search engines, and that helps other people find the podcast. So I really appreciate it when you take the time to do that. Today, I'm pleased to introduce you to my friends Mike and Connie Washburn, who I first met when they came to one of our While We're Waiting weekends five years ago. In the first half of this two-part episode, Connie shares the story of her 11-year-old son, Paul Michael, who she describes as pure joy. Then Mike shares his own personal journey with grief and how through their common losses, God brought him and Connie together to form a remarkable team. I hope you'll settle in for a beautiful story of both sorrow and joy. Hi, Mike and Connie. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you, Jill. We're glad to be here. Yeah, I always enjoy talking to you guys, so I have been really looking forward to this. Now, we got to meet you when you came to the While We're Waiting weekend that we had here at the Refuge, and I was looking back. It was all the way back in 2017. It was about five years ago, about this same time of year, Um, and so we had the opportunity to get to know you then and hear Paul Michael's story, but I would love for you to introduce yourselves to the audience and just tell them a little bit about yourselves, where you're from, and what life is like for you there. Um, well, let's see, we, uh, we live in Texas at the moment. We're staying in Florida and we have been married going on nine years and I'm retired from American Airlines. And I am semi-retired uh, from being an executive minister at the Hills Church in Fort Worth. I was uh, there with that church for about 35 years and currently uh, am filling in for a church that doesn't have a minister. And so that's why we're in Florida. But um, we are just enjoying life and enjoying uh, what the Lord has next for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to be. And I like that you're partially retired, so you've got the opportunity to do some things that you enjoy doing, but you're still still serving the Lord, aren't you? Yeah, we are. Sure. We are. And, and uh, enjoying our families and making new friends along the way mm-hmm. and been a lot of traveling. Um, a lot of traveling. It's it's just been a grand adventure for us. Yeah. Tell us just a little bit about your families that you mentioned there. Well, we have three children and seven grandchildren. And they uh they range from Texas to New Mexico. Oh wow. So that's probably some of your traveling that you do then. It's part of it. We have, uh, yeah, I'm retired from American Airlines as well as my twin sister, which means that she and her spouse, me and my spouse, we all um, have flight benefits. So therefore we can travel for free, which means we just get on the plane and do a lot of traveling (laughs) for for pleasure. It's been, it's been wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So we've had a lot of those adventures, uh, but, but uh, our adventures have taken us uh, and put us in relationship with other families who've lost children. Uh, God just does that, yeah. And and so it's been a a good journey uh, along the way as we've met new friends. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it is neat how God brings us together um, across the miles and across time. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. So I'd like to talk a little bit about Paul Michael uh, today because that's 
um, who we really want to spend our time visiting about. And I remember when I met you at the retreat, Connie, you started your story about Paul Michael by saying, the only way to describe him is pure joy. So help us get to know Paul Michael a little bit. Okay. Paul Michael uh, was 11 years old and he was blonde hair, hazel eyed, absolutely beautiful. And he was pure joy. He was kind and sweet. And he, he loves, loved fishing. That was probably his most favorite thing. He loved Legos and sports and, um, and all of the above. The one thing I will say about Paul Michael and another reason he was pure joy is his relationship with the Lord. It was um, even at 11 years old. It was it was pretty powerful. He came to me uh, that year and said, Mom, I want to be baptized. And I wasn't sure if if it was time. And he came again and said, Mom, I want to be baptized. And I said, okay, well, let's go talk to some of the elders. And so uh, I wasn't sure if he was too young. I wanted to make sure I understood what commitment he was making. And so he, he went and one of the elders said that he understood it a lot more than a lot of adults do. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really did get it. And when, uh, when he went to school at Fort Worth Christian and every year they would uh, pick him to, for the academic meet for written Bible. And he would have to, to go over 50, uh, 50 to 100 questions on each book, that, whatever it was for the topic that year. And he always scored an excellence. You know, um, it was he just he loved the Bible. He loved hearing about the Lord. He loved knowing about the Lord. He asked me questions that made me stop and think, wow, I cannot believe these questions. They're pretty deep to be coming wow. from an 11 year old little boy. And so um, with all that said, he uh, he asked to be baptized. So he he was baptized and it was five months, five months before that he had committed his life to the Lord, that he was actually standing in the presence of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Um, So he was pure joy. In fact, I believe my husband said uh, the news media was there that day. And and uh, I mean, Paul Michael's dad said, he said, we never had a bummer day with him. Mm. And that was Paul Michael. There was never a bummer day. He was just a good kid, a fun kid, kept me laughing. And he rocked my world. Mm. Yeah. He sounds like just a really, really special little boy. He was. Yeah. Now, when he was four years old, I remember from your story, he was diagnosed with a heart murmur. Talk about what was going on at that time. Okay, when he was four, took him in for a cold, and uh, the doctor said he had a heart murmur. And I said, what is a heart murmur? Uh, As tests were done, we found out that he had a fistula, and this fistula was attached to his heart. Normally, they will go in and they will coil these, uh, they're like vessels, they'll go in and coil them. In this particular case, they couldn't because it was too large. So they said, we're going to have to open him up and we're going to have to, to have open heart surgery. Uh, it's, it's, it's not that big of a deal, although it sounds like a big deal, but we need to just cut that off. So they cut it off, leaving just a little bit of an area they called high rent district, just because it was so close to the heart that they didn't want to, they didn't, uh, they didn't want to get that part of it. All was well. Um, we were released. Everything was good. They said he's, perfectly capable of doing anything anybody else can do. It's, it's, it's really, you know, it was just 
one of those things. So life went on seven years later, we were, uh, we're hustling and bustling like every other parent and, you know, and sports and school and all that goes along with it. And uh, May the 10th, 2018, uh, when he was 11 years old, then it was a Saturday it was the day before mother's day. Hmm. I woke up getting ready to go to work, putting on my makeup and I just heard thump, just a huge thump. And I thought, what in the world? So I walked in the hall and saw my husband standing over my little boy and he had collapsed. And I said, what's going on? And he said, I don't know. He said he can hardly breathe and he's, and he's really sweating. And I said, it's really hot up here. Can you go turn the air down? And so I said, Bubby, come on, get up. And so I saw his shoes there. So I thought he had tripped over his shoes. Mm -hmm. And so I helped him up and we went to the walk to the bathroom. And so uh, he sat down on the toilet and he started having some dry heaves. And I remember saying to him, now, honey, if you're going to throw up, make sure that you don't throw up on the rug. And having no idea that right in front of me, he's dying. And I, and I did, I had absolutely no idea. Yeah. And, um, Oh, he was so sweet. Never complained. Even at that time, um, he was sweating and I was rubbing my fingers through his, through his hair. And he just looked up at me and he just smiled and he stood up um, and he said, I feel better now. And I said, good. I said, why don't you come lay down in bed um, on my side of the bed? And I said, uh, well, I get ready for work. So he went in, laid down and I took my little fan by the bed and I put it on his body and I said, I'll be right back. I'm going to run and get my jacket. My jacket, my suit jacket was in the bathroom. So I, I walked in there to get it and I came back and I said, um, Paul Michael, Paul Michael, Paul Michael. And his arm just like fell over the bed and I turned the lamp on and saw his eyes rolled back and I just started screaming my looked up and he said he looks dead and panic started and we just I mean it was just um, complete panic I started doing CPR just praying my heart out and having I, honestly just having no clue what's happening he's supposed yeah. to be going to a basketball game this and paintball there was just so much planned for this Saturday morning it was just a typical Saturday morning and now here I am trying to breathe life into mm. him and and, uh, and just in a complete panic and my brother-in-law had come over and he was on the phone trying to tell me properly how to do CPR because I had no idea. And I was just, um, anyway, it was just complete chaos and panic. Paramedics arrived. They put him in the ambulance, took him to the hospital. We walked to walk into the hospital. My mind is the whole time I'm thinking he's not going to die. I know he won't die. Lord, I know you won't let him die because I'll die without him. He's my life. Yeah. And, and it was just a real conversation of, you know, uh, when the paramedics were there, my husband said, um, his lips aren't blue anymore. And I'm thinking, blue lips? What do you mean blue lips? And it, it was just, you know, it's just that panic mode. Sure. So when we're at the hospital, we uh, we walk in and the doctor said, or, or I'm sorry, the, the nurse at that time said, uh, come on in, we're going to put you in the chapel. And my husband said, why are you putting us in the chapel? And he was so angry. And I thought, why are they putting us in the chapel? Do they think he's going to die? No, he's not going to die. Yes, he is. And it was just these this constant um, trying to, come to a realization in terms of what's really happening. Uh, so the, uh, the doctor, the doctor had eventually, we were in the chapel, the doctor came in and asked if, um, you know, told us, you know, what they're doing. And I said, please have your staff pray over my son. And, and he mm -hmm. said that they would a little bit later, the nurse came back in and 
my husband said, is my son breathing on his own? And she said, your son hasn't breathed on his own since he's been here. And I think that's when it really hit me. And I was like, what? And then I screamed. I stood up. I ran out of the hospital and I ran outside and I started pulling up, just pulling up grass. And I was just like, God, help me, help me, help me. I don't know what to do here. I know you're not going to let him die. Please, God, don't let him die. I'm begging you. Please don't let him die. And I'm thinking to myself, why would he die? I mean, he's so healthy. Why would he die? And then I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute he's in there and they're all in there. And then I ran back in. I was just in complete panic, Yeah, ran back into the chapel. And as I was running back in, I saw the doctor walking down the hall. My twin sister, her husband and my husband were out in the hall and the doctor was coming up at, at that time. And he walked up and he said, um, I'm sorry to tell you this. He said, my staff prayed over your son like you asked us to, but I'm sorry, he's gone. And I just fell to the floor. I mean, just fell. And apparently what had happened is uh, they thought at first it was Kawasaki. And so, you know, like I said, the media was all at the house, uh, you know, wanting to know what's going on. And, and the doctors had thought it was something called Kawasaki syndrome. They ended up uh, finally coming to the uh, decision that it was a blood clot that had formed in that little bitty area that they didn't remove. No one would know. They did their very best. Um, and I love Cook's Hospital. Sure. They, they had no way of knowing that this was going to happen. And anyway, so apparently that that morning, the, the blood clot um, caused the lungs to fill up with fluid and, and killed him. Extremely unexpected. Yeah. Yeah, it's so hard for me to imagine because my story was so different in that my daughter had cancer and we had a year basically to kind of prepare, even though we, you know, we prayed for that miracle too, that healing. But I can't imagine getting up on a regular Saturday morning. You've got plans for the day, fun things, and for life to take such a dramatic turn like that. That's so hard for me to imagine. Yeah, he, he, you know, he was supposed to have an 8 o'clock basketball game, and then he was going with a bunch of his friends to play paintball. And, uh, yeah, it was just a normal day. So it, yeah. it took quite a turn, and it was quite a shock. Yeah, yeah. So I know that for me, after Hannah died, we still had another daughter who was living at home with us. And, you know, I had to get up every day and function and, and get her to school and feed her <laughs> and those kinds of things. Paul Michael was your only child at home during that time. So talk about how that impacted your grief journey. Yes, I had another son who was uh, he was about to graduate college in two weeks and Paul Michael was going to graduate elementary in two weeks. Mm. And uh, so I was, I was home alone um, other than um, my husband. And it was um, very hard. It, the, the silence was deafening. The just the uh, the pain. I think I, I honestly have had went through my entire life having no idea that kind of pain existed in this world. You know, you can always feel sorry and think, oh, wow, bless their hearts. But to know that level of pain did not realize it even existed. So it was it was hard. It was hard every day. I had an incredible support system. Had I not, I just don't know how I would have been able to manage it. But my church uh, immediately came to the rescue and they the parents from Fort Worth Christian, they all came to the house. 
and there was I mean, there was food for a month. There, one lady, I remember her coming in, and she and uh, Paul Michael and her little boy uh, had gone to TCU sleepover thing together, and and she just came in with every paper good from Sam's you could think of, every paper plate, paper cups, silverware, I, everything, and bottled waters, and and people were bringing over so much food, and it was the fact that they were all confident in who the Lord is Mm -hmm. and feeding me with that. And I was empty. I was completely empty. And I remember at one time telling my twin sister, because there were some people that were coming to see me and they were, um, they were not Christians. And I remember looking at my sister and I said, I have to have people right now that are Christians. They're the only ones I can see right now simply because I need to be fed truth and I can't be fed anything other than that. And she became the doorkeeper and 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 she did an excellent job at, at knowing who would and who would not be able to come and, and actually uh, fill me. The church was amazing. They uh, they really were. They between the church and the, the parents of worth Christian, they put the whole funeral together. Mm. I really was in shock. Uh, they, they put it all together. I, I don't remember anything other than picking out a photograph and a song. And other than that, everything else was done for me. And um, that, that support system just meant everything. It really did. And then even after that, after the, the funeral, the support uh, just continued for, for so long. Um, mm. And it was, it was really the the thing that just kept me going. Yeah. What a blessing to have Christian friends that are willing to step into your life at those hardest moments and mm-hmm. and just sit there with you. Yes. Because when you're in so much shock, you can't even you don't even know what you need. You just you just need somebody to come sit beside you. That is exactly right. And they 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 really did. They they did an excellent job at doing that. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I like how you said your twin sister was kind of the doorkeeper, the gatekeeper of who could come in to mm-hmm. see you. I, I firmly believe that every bereaved parent needs, we call him a bouncer. <laughs> My <laughs> husband's brother was that for us, and he's kind of a big guy. And, yeah. you know, he just was very careful about who he allowed to come in to see us because, uh, you know, we just, you just need that. And I think that's so important. I really do, because you don't need to be, be uh, you know, you don't need to hear things that are going to make you hurt any deeper. You, what you right. need is truth and you need to know what God's promises are and you need to know how solid um, and that, that the trust and the hope is is going to carry you through. And fortunately, that's what I was fed over and over again, yeah. which is what I needed. Yeah, exactly. So, Mike, we haven't really heard from you yet, um, but I know that you're no stranger to grief yourself. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit of your story with us? Sure. Just to tag on to what Connie was saying, um, she was uh, a member of our church, and Paul Michael's funeral was at our church, but I didn't really know Connie at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, but I knew of Paul Michael. Uh, and attended his funeral, not knowing that our lives eventually would be uh, melded together. Yeah. But when I was a young man, I grew up in, in Midland, and uh, my family moved to Houston when I graduated from high school. And when they moved to Houston, I met a young lady named Fran Onstead, and uh, she was a year younger than I was. And, and uh, so I went off to college after I had met her that first summer uh, after high school for me. Then 
uh, we continued developing a relationship. And when I went back to school my sophomore year, uh, I got a call from Fran and uh, she had had osteogenic sarcoma, cancer, five years earlier than that. And uh, she called and said, Mike, it's back. And I asked her if she would want me to come home and, and be with her through the chemo and radiation and all related to that. And so uh, I left school. Uh, I was a ministry ministerial student and I left school, went uh, back and uh, um, it had come back in her lungs Mm. Um, the second time, and uh, they removed one of the lobes of her lung. And in doing so, she was paralyzed from the waist down. And we had built the kind of relationship. When you go through something like that, it, it gets pretty intense pretty mm-hmm. quickly. Yeah. And we had made the decision that if she could, she said, if she could walk, uh, then we would marry if she could walk down the aisle. And so in December of that year, she had regained enough of her strength and mobility that her dad walked her down the aisle and we married Mm. and then had five months of her cancer was in remission uh, and had five months. And then after five months, we put her in the hospital and she remained there for another seven months. And one week short of our first year anniversary, she died. Mm -hmm. And so then I went back to school and, you know, just really uh, confused about a lot of things. I I knew I believed in the Lord and I knew the Lord was good, but I was, I struggled a little bit with faith in that I prayed and I prayed believing and it didn't happen. Right. And so I had a lot of questions uh, about all of that. And uh, as I was sitting in class one day, one of my professors uh, we were going through the minor prophets and Micah chapter six and verse eight came up that chapter. And, and uh, <clears throat> the people are asking God, what do you require of us? And mm-hmm. Micah responds back to them. You know, oh man, what the Lord requires of you to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. And I knew that that was a word for me. It, mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I just knew that was God's word for me uh, that would set the direction in the course of my life for a, uh, I hope for the remainder of my yeah. life. And uh, I went on to finish school. And as I was a um, a junior in college, um, I met a girl from Abilene Christian. I was attending Lubbock Christian University and she was in Abilene Christian. And uh, we eventually married. Her name was Sharon. Uh, Sharon and I had two daughters and she was my mate in ministry for uh, 36 years. Wow. And in 2009, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, triple negative breast cancer. And we didn't know anything at all about breast cancer and certainly nothing about triple negative. And it had already metastasized. So it was a stage three. We recognized we were in a battle. Mm -hmm. Uh, She battled that one year and fought it back. And then at the end of that year, they said she was cancer free. Uh, she remained cancer free for one year. And then in, in the, the start of 2013, in January of 2013, she was told by the doctor that it's come back and it had collapsed one of her lungs. And we tried a procedure uh, that, that uh, actually made it a little bit worse for her. Uh, and then Sharon made the decision that she was not going to continue treatments. 
She wanted to live life for as long as she had it. She was a strong believer in the Lord. And uh, we had the support of the whole church because of the position that I had and just knew so many people. Sure. And for that year, up until October 18th, which was the day that she passed, she lived out and tried to live as much as she could every single day. And Connie knew of me uh, because of what what I was going through. And I knew of her because of what uh, had happened with her son. Yeah. And eventually, uh, two years after Sharon's passing, uh, Connie was single and still attending the Hills. And I was teaching a Bible class, uh, her Bible class. And um, we were introduced to each other or reacquainted with each other. And uh, it wasn't long. And, and uh, uh, because of our shared losses, it allowed us to build a relationship rather quickly. Yeah. Um, and because we identified with each other so well and uh, then just began supporting each other in that journey. And it, it um, having the relationship with her, God took both of our brokenness and he he made something out of that mm. uh, and formed us into a team where we're able to go in to people who are suffering loss and identify with them and come alongside uh, hopefully appropriately uh, for what their needs are to help them through and uh, what's coming and what to be expected and, yeah. and, um, and how you manage faith in the midst of one of those kinds of tragedies. Yeah, what a wonderful team God put together <laughs> when He brought the two of you together. Oh yeah, we feel the same thing. Yeah, yeah, with that, with the grief that each of you have been through, and just the the kind of unique circumstances of of your two stories. You know, you He's just uniquely equipped you to to meet the needs of a lot of people, and that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. Sure. Out of, out of that, I think after Fran died, that passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 1, the praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we're able to comfort those with the comfort we've received from God, really became a foundational Scripture for both of us mm-hmm. in really, Jill, a surprising way because we certainly recognize that because of the losses that we've had, we're able to speak into others' lives and bring the same comfort that we found ourselves. But there's a there's a couple of titles of God that are in the first part of that, that he is the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Yes. And that set us on a journey. We found our hope in who he is. You know, you, you deal with those whys at times. Uh, and if you don't have a good foundation of who God is in all of his attributes, it makes it hard to hold on to him. And so that has really become the message that we have for people to, to help them see who God is in his totality, because that's where our comfort lies and um, and enables us to have hope. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. That's a beautiful testimony right there. 
This concludes the first half of my conversation with Mike and Connie Washburn. Be sure to come back next week as we extend our discussion to include the importance of surrendering our grief to the Lord, practical tools for surviving the grief journey, and the ministry that's been born from the Washburns' experiences with loss. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to sharing the rest of our chat with you next Wednesday.